this is a series of messages on family life, unleashing the power of family that we drop in and out of periodically. And over the last several years, we have probably 15, 16 uh, messages that we've done about various aspects of family life, including being a single person, being a single parent, marriage, uh, parenting of teens, parenting of younger kids, all, all kinds of different things. And so if you're interested in those previous uh, messages, they're available from our website. But we are uh, in the middle of a four-message uh, set that's part of this larger um, series, and today we conclude that, that set. And um, I'm going to be talking today about sex, and so let me just make sure that you know this is at least the PG-13 message. If you've, you, if you've got any of your kids left with you here in the room, you might want to consider that. I am using this title, Good Sex, because I really hate it. I hate the way our culture talks about sex. And this is indicative of the way our culture um, thinks of and, and addresses issues of human sexuality. As though you could separate the, the marital relationship that gives physical uh, intimacy meaning that makes it uh, valuable, mysterious, wonderful, Everything that God intended to be, as long as you could separate that out and just have the sex. You know that our, our culture will talk about, you know, um, being good in bed or good sex or whatever. And, and I, I, I just hate that. And so I used this um, title just so I could say that, what I just said, that I hate that. I want for us to reconsider. We are, all of us, inundated. We, we are submerged in a culture that does not understand nearly anything <laughs> correctly from God's word. And I, I'm not saying that I'm somebody special and that I know everything. I certainly don't. But I'm saying I do know this. I know every day I wade through a culture that has no idea about nearly anything. And if I followed what the world had to say about stuff, I would be up a creek without a paddle, as they say. It's like the blind leading the blind, Jesus said. And I, I just feel like God would have us to be able to see things clearer. So this morning, let's talk about uh, let's talk about this in a little different way. I want to to talk to you today about how to experience the full measure of God's intended blessing for marital intimacy. Now, let's just start with the understanding. I, we've talked about this many times before about why God's God created human sexuality to be experienced within the context of marriage and marriage alone. And so I'm not going to preach that message again. I'm going to just, uh, we're going to just have that as a common understanding, all right? And I realize that, the, you know, not everybody might be in agreement with that, but I'm just going to assume you're, you are for the sake of today's message. So we're talking about something that happens within the context of marriage. And it... Uh, sexual intimacy or physical intimacy in marriage is just one of three types the, uh, of intimacy God intended for a married couple to experience. First, spiritual intimacy. And then intimacy of soul that gives place to and rise to and, and um, uh, meaning to physical intimacy. And you cannot separate the relationship that produces the intimacy. It's, it, it, it's the result of, intimacy is the result of the relationship. So this morning when we talk about sex, we're going to talk about the relationship 
because that will take care of the sex part of it. You see what I'm saying? Let's talk about the relationship that produces healthy, fulfilling, wonderful uh, sex in, a, in, in marriage. And uh, so I've asked you to turn to Proverbs chapter 5, and we're going to start reading in verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed to broad streams of water in the street? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. In the New King James Version of the Bible that I'm reading from, the English word enraptured that I just read literally is translated from a word that means intoxicated. Let me read that again. And always be intoxicated with her love. Did the Bible just say that? Did the word of God just say that? That we could have marriages wherein we always experienced intoxicating love. Yeah, it did. The, the Bible just said that. I think that's amazing because this is God's idea. This is not something that somebody, you know, Hollywood cooked up. This is God's idea and his plan. So let's hear what he has to say about this. And let me recognize the fact that among us this morning, there are people who are not married, either by reason of you haven't been married yet or by reason of the fact that you have previously been uh, married and are now divorced or widowed. There are, um, our families are configured in different ways. And I understand, I'm not trying to say that everybody would, would um, be listening to me today from the context of being married. But that doesn't mean that you might not be married in the future or married again in your future. And even if that's not the case, every single one of us in this room have people in the circles of our life's influence who are married and who need somebody who will speak truth. Someone who understands that what the world is, is selling in terms of human sexuality is not anywhere close to what God has in mind. So every one of us comes to God's word this morning, whatever your, certain, your current situation, needing to hear what the Lord might have to say. So I'm going to invite the Lord to speak to you today. And um, let's begin with verse 15. Uh, actually, let me step one, one, we'll take one step back and say that the context of, of, um, of, these, uh, of this message is that not only are we talking about marital intimacy, but the fact that you're not going to have a relationship that produces always intoxicating love if that relationship isn't centered in Christ. And I don't mean in word only. I mean, really, the truth is, if, if, if God, if the relationship you as a husband and wife have is not founded on, centered on, where God is not the primary um, member of that triunity, things are not going to produce the always intoxicating love that God says we can have. 
And let me just talk to you a little bit about how that happens, that Christ becomes the center of your relationship. Because let's be honest, a lot of us don't get that when we first get married. It's, you know, we, we're not thinking about God being at the center of our marriage a lot of times. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, that wasn't the case with you, but I just know from experience a lot of us that wasn't our initial thought. And so we have to come to a place where we just, we just drive a stake in the ground and we decide that spiritual intimacy comes first. I can't tell you how often I've counseled with couples who are in trouble, and I'll ask them, do you ever pray together? And they get this grimace on their face, like that would be the hardest thing in the world. No, of course not, we don't pray together. I mean, these are people who can strip down and be perfectly comfortable naked with one another, every word showing, physically naked. But to be spiritually intimate or vulnerable, it's like, oh, man, I'm shaking in my boots. That's got to change. I know it isn't easy to make that turn, but dear ones, if we're going to have the relationship that produces what we long for, that always intoxicating love, it's got to be founded on Jesus. Look, when God brought Adam and Eve together, he... The only context, the only way they understood their relationship was that God brought them together. He was, the, he was the overall context of their relationship. They didn't have a relationship, but that he was part of it. And that's what God intends for every couple to have, where God is the center, where, where we learn from God's word together like you're doing right now. You're sitting next to each other in many cases where husbands and wives are here together learning from God's word together. And that might be a little awkward at times. In fact, maybe, maybe uh, increasingly so today because of the subject matter that you're sitting next to your spouse hitting this, hearing this stuff. But that process of just submitting the, the two of you together in the same room around the word of God is so powerful to creating the kind of relationship that produces what we long for. Worshiping together, praying together, as I also mentioned, being connected with other Christian couples. Not that your life is surrounded only by Christian people, but that uh, uh, you know, scattered in there in that mix of people that you're in fellowship with, there is a, a large number of other believers on the same journey with you. Helps to make Christ the center of your relationship. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern. Now, a cistern is a place where water is collected. Sometimes it would be a naturally occurring uh, cave or a place that's dug uh, into a rock to um, make room for rainwater or for flood water to be collected for times when um, the... Uh, uh, you know, dry times. And you're speaking to people who live in an arid climate. But the, the bottom line is it's a place to collect life-giving water. If we're going to have the kind of relationships that produce always intoxicating love, they're going to be invested in. We're going to be pouring into them something that is, can be then drawn out at times when we need it, Right? And it's amazing to me how little attention many of us, uh, and, and often myself included, pay to investing in our uh, marriage relationships. One of the ways you can do that is by investing your schedule. Look, every, how many of you here today would raise your hand to say, I just have so much free time? <laughs> okay. 
That's kind of what I thought. We're all busy. But here's what happens. Many times, you know, as you run through your busy day, you are making choices about who gets your time. At the end of your day, do you really want to bring the fumes of your day to your spouse? Is that investing in the relationship? Is that pouring anything in there for the day when you need to draw something out and you're going to find there's nothing there? It's not going to work. Somehow, we need to invest our schedule into our relationships. I know this is a little unfair for me to ask, but I think it's a question still worth asking. If, I were, if you were to show me your phone or your tablet or whatever it is that you use to keep your calendar on, would I find your spouse's name anywhere in there? Is there any time scheduled for them? Or do you just give them whatever is left over, worthy of consideration? Let's invest time, schedule into our relationships so we can have the kind of relationship that naturally produces that always intoxicating love. You can invest money. Look, my, I have three kids. They're all grown. They have kids of their own now. So I understand what it's like to get three kids married. It costs a lot. Two of them were girls, but even the guy, the boy, you don't get off free, right? I know what it's like to pay the bill for that ceremony, and, and gladly so. It ought to be celebrated, right? But it's amazing to me how often uh, couples will spend a fortune on the ceremony and never a dime after that on their relationship. How, how does that make any sense at all? <laughs> I, look, I'm not setting myself up with some kind of model. I'm not. This is just a suggestion. I, I suppose the reason why I need to do this is because I need to do it. But over the 41 years of our marriage, I made it a covenant that, and I've kept pretty good at this, uh, of every year investing something, not only of my money, but of my time to become a better husband, someone that Sue could, could love better uh, or uh, appreciate better. I want to be a good husband, in other words, right? So... I will, I will uh, read a, I'll buy a book, I'll go to a conference, I'll watch a video, I'll, I'll do something to help improve my serve as a, as a husband, so to speak. And it doesn't take a lot, but it does take some cash. How about setting aside a little bit of money in your budget to be able to spend time, just the two of you, out to dinner someplace? When we had three kids at home, oftentimes that meant Burger King and it meant walking there. But the time walking there was worth it. The cost of the babysitter, it was worth it. It doesn't take a lot, but there's worthy investment of money. How about the investment of yourself? Jesus, when he was talking about some of the religious leaders one time, he said, or the, the, the word of God says that these worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And sometimes, let's be honest, as husbands and wives, we can be present, but not really present. Investing who, my, my attention, my self in the moment helps to produce the kind of relationship that gives rise to that always intoxicating love. One more, non-sexual physical contact. You know, you can always tell the newlyweds because they're just kind of draped over each other all the time, right? And uh, I don't know why it is that 
not long after wedding day, that starts to change. And, and we don't touch each other unless the intention is that it leads to something, right? Just, we need to recover the investment of just embrace, holding hands. When does that stop or when does that become inappropriate? Never. <laughs> Non-sexual physical contact. Goes on to say in verse 15, and running water from your own well. Drink running water from your own well. We talked about a cistern. A well is something that taps into an uh, underground stream. Something that's flowing. Something that just bubbles up spontaneously. Um, and if we're going to have the kind of relationship that produces the physical intimacy that our hearts long for, it needs to be kept fresh. It needs to be kept fresh. Let me give you a couple of ideas about that. First of all, just being expressive. Look, I'm a guy, I get this. We, I don't know why it's true, but it is true. For, off, for us often, uh, we act like, even if we don't really believe this, we act like, well, I told you I loved you. Why do I have to repeat myself? Come on. When was the last time you walked in, you were called into your manager's office to be given a bonus or a pat on the back or something, and you said, please, don't ever do this again? <laughs> we, we, all of us, need and love to have the affirmation and the, the reminder that we're appreciated, we're valued. That's true of your, of your spouse as well. Don't ever get tired of being expressive. Find ways to say. Let me just tell you about one little letter in the alphabet. I. I. We can get fairly good at saying, love ya. But when you add that one little letter, I love you, man, it changes the whole thing. And I, let's just be expressive about our, our love for one another. One of the scariest things I ever encounter in my life is when on birthdays, anniversaries, that kind of thing, I go to the store and I get one of those greeting cards and I open up and there's a blank page and I know I'm supposed to write something there. <laughs> but man, seize the moment, seize the day. Find a way to express your heart. Um, we need to Find ways of being creative. Look, every one of you is creative in some way. It might be that you paint. It might be you're creative in dance. It might be creative in music. All of you have some area of your life where you're creative. Maybe you're creative with the remote control. I'm not sure. But whatever it is, you employ that creativity in keeping your marriage, your, your relationship li alive and vital. Spontaneity. Spontane being spontaneous. And I'm, I, they can be little things. Like, not that long ago, Sue and I, I don't know, we were just hanging out at the house, and I said, honey, let's get in the car, because where we live, we have to drive anywhere we're going to go. But, and I said, honey, let's get in the car, let's go to McDonald's and get an ice cream cone. And we did, and it was fun, it was great. Little tiny thing, but it was spontaneous, it was unplanned. Those little things, they breathe so much life into your relationship that you want to be the kind that produces always intoxicating love. If we're going to have those kinds of relationships, they also need to be guarded. They need to be guarded. Years ago, I took a trip to Mendocino County. That's up on the north coast of California, if you know where that is. And um, I won't tell you the story about why I was there. But one of the things I was doing there is I was taken out to a place where they bottle uh, sparkling water. 
And uh, so, so literally, I didn't, know, I didn't know this. Maybe you don't know this, but carbonated water come, comes right out of the ground. And, and they, there's, a, there's a well and a pipe that goes from that to this building where they, they actually just, you know, add a little flavoring or whatever and bottle it up and sell it. That's what you're spending all your money on. Just come straight out of the ground. Anyway, <laughs> they took me to the, to the well, right? It's under lock and key. There's about probably an 18-inch <laughs> diameter cap on this well. They have to unlock it all and take it off. And then the guy says to me, why don't you get down there and just smell that? So I... I didn't know what he was after. I thought, well, okay. <laughs> took, a big, took a big breath of that. Almost passed out because it's CO2. The gas rising off of that was CO2. Crazy. It just comes right out of the ground like that. Where was I? I think I was talking about God. But anyway, I got, <laughs> I got thinking about that. Anyway, my point is they had a lock on that well. It was so valuable. If we're going to have the kind of relationships that produce uh, that always intoxicating love, they need to be guarded from what? From extramarital sexuality. I think all of us would say, well, that's a duh. If you're going to be married, you're not going to be messing around with other people. We get that. But there's other ways to be involved in extramarital sexuality that don't involve what we would consider adultery or infidelity. Where's your mind going? Where are the what are the things that you are exposing yourself to that take you sexually outside of your marriage? Sexual fantasies, all pornography, all of that stuff. We need to guard against that. How about another form of fantasy? The one where you're thinking about the life you would have if you didn't have this guy or this girl in your... You know, we've all... Everybody who's been married has had at one time or another the enemy of your soul whisper this in your ear, you got the wrong one. Right? Guard against that. That's a lie from hell. And if you start to let your mind drift off into this other life that would be better than the one you have, you're going places the Lord isn't going. Guard against that. Guard against your kids. Look, I love my kids. I love their kids. More than I can say. But every one of them, I told them when they were young, I took them aside and I said, look, I love you with all my heart and soul and I will be for you all the days of my life. But your mom comes first. So they understood that. I, I, moms and dads can live under a lot of guilt about the time that we give to our kids. I understand that. I really do. Is it, there's not enough hours in anybody's day for all the things that ought to be priorities. But can I say to you that if you don't attend every soccer game, if you don't bake all the cookies, if you don't do all of the things that you know, we, we busy ourselves doing to stay in, in the lives of our kids, but you instead choose to prioritize time with your spouse, they'll thank you. They'll thank you. They'll think that that's a worthy trade-off. If you love their mom, if you love their dad, and do so for a lifetime, they won't remember that you weren't in the stands that day. Uh, guard against the culture. Oh, man, I already mentioned this, but we are just bombarded with 
so much uh, ungodliness that we need to just guard against that. goes on uh, in verse 16 to say, Should your fountains be uh, dispersed of abroad streams of water in the streets? And that's talking about allowing our relationships just to, our sexual relationships just to, and thinking about it, to run into the gutter. That's what it literally means. We, we want to avoid that. And then verse 17, let them be your, only your own and not for strangers with you. And that's where we were talking about guarding uh, your relationship. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. If we're going to have the kind of relationships that produce always intoxicating love, they're going to be relationships that are enjoyed. Enjoyed. It's, it's remarkable to me how well-meaning, godly men and women can find themselves in relationships where the joy has just evaporated. And it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. But it won't be able to be maintained without some effort. Every single couple I have ever done premarital counseling with, and right now I'm working with three couples, and there are no exceptions to the rule. Every single one of them, when I ask them, and I always do, why do you want to be married? One of the first things they'll say is because we have so much in common. We love the same music. We love the same kind of clothes. We love the same kind of food. And, oh, it goes on. It makes me sick. Anyway. <laughs> Because the truth of the matter is, the day after the wedding, they're going to wake up and find, well, he squeezes the toothpaste from the bottom. <laughs> but isn't the toilet paper supposed to roll over the top? Come on. And they're going to find out that the person they're married to is not only not like them, but exactly the opposite of them. And they're going to think, I married a monster. No, he didn't marry a monster. That's God's plan. He said, look, Adam, I'm going to make somebody that's going to fill, complete you. You're going to come together and, and serve to fill out each other. And the things that you're not strong in, she will be and vice versa. And so that's, that's part of God's plan. But the net result is you're going to have to work at finding common interests. It won't come naturally. For me, that's meant I've had to learn to shop. God bless that dear woman. She has had to learn to like Star Wars. <laughs> and, and she sat through episode one, two, three, four, five, and six, and she'll be with me when seven comes out this December. Okay? <laughs> that didn't come natural for her. All right? <laughs> but man makes life so much sweeter. The relationship the, the, becomes that which produces always intoxicating love. Having fun, just finding ways to laugh together. Uh, you know, seeing that restored where it's kind of dissipated in a marriage is not an easy thing, but it can be done. Where two people will decide, hey, <laughs> we got to have a little more levity in this thing. We got to have some more fun. God will guide you and direct you. Finally, if we're going to have those kinds of relationships that produce always intoxicating love, it's going to involve what verse 19 talks about. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Listen, if you were going to describe what was just described in those few words, you would not use those words. 
So why did God? Because he was embarrassed and just trying to hide it in, in poetic language? No. Because he's trying to get us to see our, our marital intimacy that it stands far above what the world is serving up. And where the world talks about sexuality in these always orgasmic, graphic, uh, you know, breathless kinds of communications, God wants to ennoble our lovemaking, make it more regal, cause us to be able to understand the high and lofty aspects of what he intended it to be. And so he speaks to us strikingly different about it than the world does. And I want to talk with you briefly about that just a little bit more before I let you go. Years ago, between 1965 or thereabouts and 1975 thereabouts, for about a 10-year period, there was a theme park in Southern California in Buena Park, to be exact, in Orange County called Japanese Village in Deer Park. How many have ever heard of it? Me? <laughs> Me and Dan. We're old enough that we, we can remember. Anyway, so this, this theme park is, is uh, competing with Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. The only thing that Japanese Village and Deer Park had going for it was a herd of deer. But people like me would spend good money to go there because you could be in a place where there were these amazing creatures that you never see i mean or rarely see and i suppose there's nothing particularly special about a deer but they are mysterious they're lovely in some ways i think maybe because we don't see them every day they're just not out there on the hillside grazing in plain view they they hide and they and like the the a few um some time ago i think it was a couple of years now uh, sue and i were out for a hike and this big buck just comes running out of the woods across our path took my breath away and just, you know, uh, not only did it startle me, but just the, the beauty and the unexpected nature of, of that experience was uh, wonderful. And so, I, like I said, along with other people, we would spend good money to go to this place where you could be in a, in a pen with a bunch of deer and hopefully have a way to kind of, you know, get close to them. And you would spend money and buy the, whatever you feed a deer and you'd go and try to, you know, hand feed them, that kind of thing. And you think I'm kidding, I'm not. This is actually a picture of the place right there. That's what it looked like. And I, I went there along with Sue when we were in the last, I don't remember exactly the time, but it was close to our wedding. So, you know, within the time period of our uh, engagement. Now, because many of you have known my story, you'll... I don't need to go, you know, into detail about it, but Sue and I preserved our virginity for each other. I'm so glad we did. But another thing that along the way, when we had, you know, look, I didn't want to show up on wedding night unprepared. You know, I wanted to kind of understand the basic plumbing and all of that. But I, the Lord uh, really re, re, reserved, he, he made it clear to me that he wanted for me not to uh, try to seed my thinking about uh, sex with what would be available uh, in the world or anybody else's experience, you know? And he told me very clearly, I, w I want your naivety. I want you to show up there and let me instruct the two of you how this life is to, this part of your life is to be. 
And I'm, I'm grateful to say that, I know, look, this is the last thing I, you want to have in your mind right now, I know it, but <laughs> Sue and I do have sex, okay? I've <laughs> uh, been at it for about 41 years. We're pretty good by now. <clears throat> um, let me change the slide here. <laughs> Um, but anyway, we, we went there to, to that place uh, during our engagement, getting close to, to our wedding. It wasn't until after our wedding night that I realized that God, in that really odd way, that, ex that unique experience of being at that theme park, was teaching me something about uh, our sex life, our physical intimacy, that would sustain us through many, 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 many years. And um, it, in the same way that it seems odd to say so, that that, you know, being in a herd of deer would have impact on that part of our life, that's why this seems so odd when you read it in the passage here. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Here's what I learned. That if lovemaking is going to be ennobled, it means that I'm going to come to give. You couldn't get close to these deer unless you had something to offer, unless you had the food. You come to give, not to take. Always. Always. Another thing that the Lord taught me through that is that you take time. Don't be in a hurry. If you, I saw people, they'd rush up to these deers, little kids especially, and they would scatter. They, they're very timid creatures. You take time. Third, it's kind of a natural thing. When you get close enough to one of these deers, and they're actually you know, eating out of your hand. If you, if you approach them uh, in the right way, they'll, they'll eat out of your hand. And then you can't help it. It's, it's not, I didn't have any forethought about it, but I just wanted to to touch the, this creature. I wanted to interact with it in that way. And, um, but when I did, I, I, I had to be tender. I had to be tender. And those are very simple things. But those are things that the world isn't serving up. But God, if you'll let him, will speak to you in ways that are startling, different than, than the world's view about everything. And when he does, listen up, because he knows what he's talking about. This is recording number 11181 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, October 4, 2015. This is the fourth and final message in a series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Good Sex 